0: college football season is signed, sealed and delivered, plenty of highlights and waging opportunities. Not a single team went through undefeated and Georgia wound up gaining revenge on Alabama to win the national championship. The Dawgs were favored twice against the Tide and lost outright in the SEC Championship before winning it all. There were upsets galore as teams ranked in the top five were toppled week after week. The BetUS College crew does a deep dive into some of the schools that provided great moments on the field and against the spread.
1: Welcome into to the BetUS College Football Show, and it is time to take a look back at the moneymakers from the 2021 college football season. I'm your host, Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter, at GaryWCE, and let me go ahead and introduce the experts, the guys that know their stuff. They're going to help you look back at last year, which will hopefully help us prepare for the 2022 season that is coming up ever so shortly. It feels like we just got done with it, and we did. But uh, but that next season is coming up sooner than you would think. Let me start off. On the right, we have Kyle Hunter, an award-winning professional handicapper. You can follow him on Twitter, at KyleHunterPicks. Kyle, uh, it was a crazy season, and as we dove into these numbers, we found even more things that maybe we wish we had paid attention to while we were in the middle of the year, right? Absolutely. Um, crazy
2: season, and guys, I keep running these queries, like even as we were uh, getting the intro here. I'm just typing away, looking at queries for all these numbers. It's all of us enjoy numbers and we, we have plenty of them to share. I'm looking forward to it. And as a Bengals fan, it was a good last
1: weekend. I rarely get a chance to brag about the Bengals. So here we are. There you go. There you go. And of course, repping the team hat. You got to like it. Got to like it. On the left side, of course, our numerical guru, Parker Fleming, as I like to call him, of course, the, uh, the numbers guy, the stats guy. You can follow him on Twitter at Stats of War and parker boy do you have some fun stuff to go over today my friend what uh, what all are we looking at Man, I'm
0: excited. Uh, you know, I, I think I texted you
1: and Kyle this today, but I truly believe the off season is, is for
0: the nerds, man. It's where nerds like me shine. We get to dive into stuff, take a little bit slower look, go back and look at some trends and some fun stuff. And so, yeah, today, um, I, I think we've got a couple fun insights, some interesting teams to look at and, and kind of figure out, hey, why did this go differently than we thought? Or, or kind of how, you know, how different was this than expectations? And um, Gary, I'll just leave a little teaser. We've got a weird graph at the end, weird graphs from a specialty. Uh, and in season, we haven't been able to show them off as
1: much, but we've got a weird graph at the end. And so I'm excited about, uh, excited to get to that. Oh, I am as well. Of course, we are discussing again, the season outliers against the spread and straight up from this past season. Let me go ahead and remind everybody, make sure that you are signed up over at BetUS. It is BetUS.com in your browser. That is where the game begins. A ton of great bonuses, ton of great deals going on. And all of the sports are happening right now. NFL playoffs, college basketball, we've got the NBA rolling, of course, UFC year-round. And we have got prop bets and everything for college football coming up for this next season. Heisman odds will be released soon, but we've already got the CFP title odds for next season, etc. So go ahead and check it out over at BetUS.com. While you're here, go ahead and like the video for us, if you would, so kindly. And make sure that you are subscribed to the channel and that you... Uh, hit the notification bell. It's going to let you know when we go live or whenever we have new videos out and whatnot. Through the offseason, we will continue to provide content, giving you ideas on uh, different betting strategies, uh, things to look forward to as we get into the next season, different ways that you can use or different information that you can use to place your bets coming into next year. So pay attention during the off season. hit the notification bell, and make sure that you are subscribed to the channel. Gentlemen. Uh, oh, of course, you can always jump into the chat if you would like to as well. If you, uh, you want to jump into the chat, we are right here. We will answer any questions that you have, et cetera. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the best teams against the spread this season. The most profitable teams this year, I'll go in and read off a list of them, and, and guys, we'll jump back and forth. We'll kind of go through some of these. Uh, Michigan was 11-3 against the number. Now, all of these that I'm – providing are against the closing line. Now, if you bet them earlier in the week, et cetera, who knows? Numbers are incredibly important, but these are against the closing line. Michigan was 11-3 against the spread this year. Oklahoma State 10-3-1 and against the number. Michigan State was 9-3-1. UAB was 9-3-1. And then uh, we had several at 10-4. and We had Pitt, Utah State, Western Kentucky, and Baylor, all at 10-4. and uh, Kyle, let's start off with you. I, I feel like I should have, have really rode with some of these teams more than I did. A lot of these teams just seemed, from week to week, like the numbers didn't exactly match up with what we were seeing on the field, right? Is, is that the way that, that we get these uh, high win percentages on these teams?
2: Yeah, I think there's, there's – um... A lot of specific cases when you look at these teams as well, as to why um, individually they would have done poorly or, or good against the spread, but as as far as these teams, um, you know, I've talked about throughout the course of the season. Uh, Mike Gundy's been money for year after year. He continued to be that. Um, I mean, I was wrong on Oklahoma State before the season. Wrong, uh, wrong as far as uh, taking their season win total under, and. They were 10-3-1 against the spread again this year, and now Mike Gundy's 99-66 and 66 against the spread since 2008, 60%. So be careful betting against him. You know, Michigan had a great season. Uh, I think one of the other themes that I would say about these teams is a team like Pitt, they lose to Western Michigan early in the season. You lose to a team like that that people are like, well, they're not very good Um this is, this is a team then that has value later in the season because uh, people want to throw them out the window. It's like, forget it. You know, it's, uh, it's like a stock that you can buy low then uh, because you know,
1: everybody wants to get rid of them. So I think that, that was the case for a team like Pitt as well. Who also you know, went to Colorado and blew the doors off of them. And We, we might talk about Colorado a little bit later. But, um, but yeah, a team like that that loses to Bowling Green and you think there's no way that they're going to go through the big ten. they're going to get smashed by some of these teams, and yet you know Minnesota had a fantastic season. Parker, uh, looking at, at some of these that were just terrible against the spread, you got New Mexico that was one and eleven, temple two and ten, Indiana was two and ten, TCU at two, nine and one. Obviously expectations were much higher for them. Uh, Florida was three and ten. I mean it, these are teams, you know Florida TCU they were Uh, maybe, maybe dark horse candidates to win for or win or play for their conference titles. I I mean, what, what happens in these situations where maybe the number is just a little higher than, uh, than what they can reasonably get to, right? Yeah, well, I weirdly
0: think that, you know, like TCU, for instance, and Western Kentucky were kind of two sides of the same coin this season in that in updating their information, Vegas was a little bit too conservative both ways. So TCU very early on had some very big, very uncharacteristic problems with – uh, defense and specifically with rushing defense and Vegas kind of gave Gary Patterson the doubt and they, and they kind of didn't adjust quickly enough to how bad this defense was on the flip side with Western Kentucky, uh, a team I wish I had backed every week. They went, you know, 10 and four Vegas was a little slow. They, they, they're a little slow to kind of update and say, Oh, this offense is actually pretty great. This team's going to be very disruptive. And so there's a lot of value in kind of those. Um, if you can identify those events that are happening that, kind of go against the narrative. And I think there's an opportunity to kind of exploit these slow adjustments um, for, for teams that have historically been good or historically been bad and and are different this year. So those two are really interesting to me. Um, Another one I think is um, that that really stands out to me is Washington, you know, they lost to, um, they lost to Montana to start the season, just an absolutely inexcusable loss. Just, I mean, a slog fest. It wasn't like Montana got lucky with some big plays. It's like, no, they had a defensive battle and got beat by an FCS team. And so um, that was a team that I I had flagged as, man, yeah, kind of early on, you had some signs that they just weren't doing great. There was a lot of off-season noise. They're probably somebody that, um, you know, is a profile of a team that you had wanted to um, bet against the entire season. One I will say that kind of got me, there's this there's this weird zone, right? So there's the obvious bad, like New Mexico, TCU, Washington. You've got Kansas. Southern Mississippi, Memphis, and Florida Atlantic, all right there at about four and eight uh, against the spread. And those four teams are are, are teams where I think the best version of themselves could have been competitive a lot and should have covered a lot, but they came up short in in so many spots that they were kind of hard to figure out. So there is a little bit of a twilight zone just before you get to those bad teams of, you know, at one point during the season, Florida Atlantic had a decent pass defense. Um, Things obviously fell apart there. Memphis has a, a good, experienced, high-value quarterback. They couldn't figure things out on defense, and so they were flighty and kind of back and forth. So, um, some of these with the records, it's interesting to just look at the narratives and say where did, wh- where was there a clear narrative that you could have beaten Vegas to adjust to, and where were you know some of these kind of twilight zones where the narrative wasn't clear? There were they were high variants over the season.
1: Most certainly. Um, that's going to take us off of the best teams against the spread and the worst teams, I guess. Let's talk about the best underdogs this season, and that's one of those where, uh, again, maybe Vegas doesn't exactly uh, adjust correctly throughout the season, and you can take advantage of a few things. Let's talk about those actually against the spread, right? To, uh, Tulsa was four and zero against the number. Boise State three and zero against the number. Oklahoma State was also three and zero. Then you move into some of these others that did have a loss. Baylor was five and one against the spread. Michigan State, Central Michigan, Nevada, Arkansas, San Diego State, and Army were all 4-1, along with UAB, Nebraska, Cal, UTSA, and Minnesota all being 4-1 and one against the spread. Now, there were a couple of teams that I wanted to bring up that were underdogs basically all season and found a way to stay within the number over and over and over again. Bowling Green was 8-3 and three against the spread. Now, that was not a good football team, but they were not as bad as what the numbers would suggest. And the same thing with UNLV. UNLV only had two wins on the season, but they were eight and four against the spread as an underdog. These are, uh, it it happens all the time, right? You can't quite get adjusted to what this team actually is. Uh, You know, Kyle, let me start off with you on this. Uh, Looking at some of these underdog teams, I mean, there are obvious ones. Army, uh UTSA we were kind of surprised that they were an underdog five times this year but you know UAB Arkansas like these are teams that we figured out very quickly with their coaching staffs this is somebody that you want to bet on as an underdog were there any outliers here that you were kind of surprised by uh that that did as well as they actually did
2: well i mean bowling green as a dog uh, we found out that It turns out Brian Van Gorder is just a bad defensive coordinator no matter where he's at, right? So, I mean, they finally found a defensive coordinator. Uh, That's what what mattered for Bowling Green. They needed a little bit of a defense. Uh, Still a bad team, obviously, but like you said, um, not bad enough, according to the numbers. Army as an underdog makes all the sense in the world. I mean, how can you get margin against a team like Army that slows it down, controls the the football? I did want to say this is the second straight year Tulsa is 4-0 and against the spread as an underdog. So a uh, feisty team, a team that expectations have been too low on uh, for several times in a row here. I'm curious to see if that continues with Tulsa. You know, um, that's been a team that if they get decent quarterback play, they're very good. But finding decent quarterback play for them was not very easy. So um, the one that surprises me the most out of all these, I think, um, you know, I, I think I'm surprised by Cal. Being uh, good against the spread as as an underdog, you know, cow is kind of sneaky. I mean, I, I didn't think they were very good this year, and and yet here they are making money for people. Uh, I was looking through the notes here, and I'm like, cow, wow, I'm surprised cow was on that list. I don't exactly know why Cal did good against the spread. I guess that's a kind of one up for uh, debate. But yeah, Minnesota is another one that fits in because, like you said, you know they lost that game to Bowling Green. Everybody thinks they suck, and then all at once they have a good offensive line. They run the football, control it, uh, do very well. Baylor, I think just a really well-coached team there, 5-1 and one against the spread.
1: So a lot of these make sense, but there's a couple of them that stand out and are kind of weird. Oh, most certainly. Let's talk about those that won straight up as an underdog the most. Uh, Parker, this kind of fits right into your wheelhouse. Baylor was five and one straight up. Now I just talked about them being five and one against the spread. They won five times outright as an underdog this year. Uh, that is just remarkable work by Dave Aranda. Uh, on top of that, Michigan State, UTSA, and San Diego State all four and one straight up. Utah State six and two straight up as an underdog. That's another one of those situations where you have transfers come in, et cetera, and we'll, we'll probably talk transfers towards the end of the show, uh, but you bring in some transfers. You bring in a, a first-year head coach, somebody that knows what they're doing with a team that was dreadful a season ago, and it's a whole new roster. It's a whole new team. It's a whole new mindset. They, uh, they go 6-2 and two straight up, and then the last two I'll bring up, Minnesota was 4-2 and two straight up. That makes perfect sense with what Kyle was talking about, and Louisiana. Louisiana Lafayette three and one straight up as an underdog. Every time I talked about this towards the end of the season, at Louisiana being an underdog at home to App State was just almost absurd. It, it made almost no sense. But the numbers would would tell you that yes, App State should have been uh, the pick there, but. Yeah, just watching Billy Napier and that team play over the last however many years, you knew what the situation was. They play up to the level of competition and down to the level of competition. So uh, when they are put in a situation like that, it's a little weird. Uh, Parker, Baylor 5-1 and one, straight up. And then, and then obviously I want you to talk about Utah State being 6-2 and two straight up as an underdog. But man, uh, how do we get to this point with these teams where, where Baylor was an underdog six times this year? How does that happen?
0: So, I mean, the the fact of the matter is that any kind of per play metric, you look at Baylor's offense, they were very uh, just just okay, especially in terms of efficiency. Um, And their defense wasn't as excellent as as it's kind of made out to be where Baylor found a lot of value is kind of two two places. They went for it on fourth down more than anyone else in the nation in the regular season. And they converted at a high rate. They were, they were running the ball decently well. Um, and the second thing is they just got more short fields than anyone else in the entire country. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about predictive going forward metrics, uh, a, a high rate of third down conversions and uh, a lot of short fields, those are not sustainable. And Baylor just kind of everything went their way. They always got the big special teams break when they needed it. Um, Baylor in their last four games – They had 39 drives that started in their own territory. Gary, they scored 40 total points. 1.02 points per drive starting in their own territory. They were 4-0 because Big 12 Championship game. They were across the 53 times. They scored 21 points. That's all they needed. Um, And and so, you know, one of the least penalized teams. So, uh, again, kind of very hard to project going forward. Their per-play metrics uh, just don't have them that excellent. I had them at EPA Um, offense was 34th and defense was 22nd. So that's very, very good, but that's still 18th overall. That's not, I, I, there's situations where they should not be favored. Um, and so they definitely kind of overcame that. They played well with their starting quarterback out. They benefited from, uh, some injuries uh, and opponents that kind of coincided well. So that's something certainly to flag looking at Baylor going forward. Um, when Blake Shapen came in for Gary Bohannon, um, it was, uh, you know, it was fortuitous kind of the timing they got. As for Utah State, I think this one's interesting. They had a huge home road split, which I'm sure you'll talk about. Um, and again, I-, I had their defense at 35th on a per play basis, um, and their offense at uh, 49th. So neither of those are excellent, but they were extremely consistent. Right, their their success rate was high. They moved the ball consistently, and football is a game of opportunity. Um, They also were the beneficiary of a lot of special teams plays. And so I I think Utah State kind of, one, not a name brand program, not exactly, you know, renowned for their football success. Two, uncertainty with a new coach and a lot of transfers. And three, not being excellent on either side of the ball, even though being decent on both sides of the ball is kind of hard to predict. You know, those turnovers that go your way, those short scoring drives, those special teams plays, those aren't really persistent from game to game and from year to year. And so I think that's where you kind of get this slowness to adjust and, and why they are better than the spread and why they kept being picked as underdogs despite having great
1: seasons. You uh, I, I fully, fully agree with you on that. By the way, Utah State, uh, not one of the, the craziest home road splits that we've seen. i will go on to bring theirs up. They uh, they were four and three against the number at home. And they were six and one away from home, so it, it's they were good in both regards. But as we move on, let's go on and talk about the home away splits. These are teams that you know if we had really paid attention to the trends here, we could have started to make some money towards the middle of the year. Let's start off with those against the spread. Those that were great at home but awful on the road. Oregon State was five and zero oh against the number at home, one and six on the road. USF, South Florida, 5-0 against the spread at home. They were 2-4 on the road. Uh, South Alabama, 5-1 at home. We talked about Kane Womack's team last year. 0-6 uh, whenever they left the friendly confines of Mobile, Alabama. And SMU, another one that was 5-1 at home and 1-5 and on the road. Uh, as far as, well, you know, and I can toss them in there as well. Texas A&M was 5-1 and one at home, 1-4 and four on the road. Uh Ones that were not good at home, but they were great on the road. I'm going to talk about these right quick. And Kyle, I want to get your opinion here. Army one and six at home, four and one away from home. Georgia was two and three at home. Now, obviously, again, these do not include FCS games, so it, there's not typically a line on those until later in the week. Uh, so it's not really calculated towards the end of the season stats. But Georgia two and three when they were at home, and they were eight and one went away from home eight and one against the spread away from uh away from Sanford Stadium Boise and Fresno both two and four at home five and one on the road I is there something Kyle to teams that are that are not good at covering at home but are great whenever they leave their stadium is there something to maybe uh freshman quarterbacks or uh, a team that just has way more pressure at home I mean what's what what do you think it goes into with i mean army being 1 and 6 against the spread at home and yet they were uh they were undefeated on the road i mean it it this kind of stuff just doesn't make sense to me what uh, what do you make of this
2: yeah i mean i think in a case of army it's more about not laying a lot of points with them uh they they laid points more often at home than they did on the road and uh you know it seems like army and navy uh probably better to be taking points with them or laying a really short number because a lot of their games are going to be closed because of the amount of possessions in those games so I I think that that's more about the the uh, laying points and and taking points than anything else Um, as far as some of the other teams Boise has made a habit out of not covering on the blue turf here for quite a while
1: Um, I don't exactly know why that is but uh, I I think Do you think it's sorry to interrupt you do you think maybe it's a it's more of a built-in number like they've become such a brand as far as the g5 teams go that people just automatically stack more points on top of whatever that number should have been right yeah, and I think that, um, you know, while
2: Boise is still a good team, they're not the Chris Peterson Boise teams, you know. Um, and they they were smashing people years ago at home. I mean, just crushing people. And I feel like that perception is still there a bit when it's not really the reality anymore. So uh, I think perception is just different than what reality is. I want to key in on one, Gary, here. Um, Akron. Akron was 1-5 and five at home, 5-1 and one on the road. I was looking at this one a little bit ago. Akron since 2008. Now, you know, I like bigger sample sizes because, you know, only six games, you never know exactly what's going to happen. But since 2008, Akron is 26 and 52 against the spread at home. And as a home dog, you think, well, home dogs, you know, you ought to take some points with home dogs. As a home dog of three points or more, Akron's 10 and 34 against the spread. Uh, So it turns out the Zips don't have a great home field advantage at Infocision Stadium, which is not surprising. But at the same time, it's not been priced in accurately. And, um, you know, I'm going to I don't mean to hijack this, but I'll just throw it in here as we as we talk and um, say Northern Illinois Mac Road Games since 2008, 54 and 28 against the spread. And overall, the visitor and Mac Conference games in the last 15 years Exactly 56% ATS, and that's almost 700 games. So, what we should have been doing was betting all the road teams in MAC conference games and then just getting rich and living on some island or something like that. But, uh, you know, I, I have a hypothesis as to why that might be true. Um, all these schools are very close to each other in the MAC. I mean, these are not long trips. Um, also, not huge fan bases where you know you you go in there and you're intimidated by them i've gone to some of these stadiums i wouldn't count any of them as places where you know you would think somebody would go in and be really worried Uh, but you know you talk about akron kent uh bowling green these are all very close to each other there's no weird travel spots like you would have at like a corvallis for oregon state so that's my hypothesis there but i thought it was interesting as you look to the bigger sample size
1: Oh, no, you are certainly right about that. Parker, uh, before, before we move into the totals on this, you know, uh, we talked about uh, Boise and Fresno and Georgia, et cetera. Uh, the, the Georgia situation with them being not as good at home as they were away from home, is this just points that are baked in to the line? Is this, where, where do you think this, uh, this split comes from with these teams that are at really not good on the road but are great at home and then vice versa? Yeah.
0: So, I, again, as as someone who, um, you know, likes the numbers and likes the analytics, I'm always a little bit wary about splits like this because it does come down to, you know, one shot. It's a one shot game with a season, right? Like you only have, you know, you know a very, very limited sample size and, and, and strength of schedule can differ vastly. And I really think that um, Army is a good example of that. If you look at Army's road games this season. Um, at Georgia State, who has a stout defense, but that's not too big of an issue. But they played at Wisconsin, they played um, at Liberty, and they played at uh, you know a neutral side game at Navy on the road there. So uh, th- their strength of schedule from home and away was was pretty big split there. And so that's what might might be driving some of these differences. I do like that point, Kyle, a lot, kind of the historical averages in the MAC, and I think that there actually might kind of be a, an inverted advantage to traveling in the MAC because those distances are so short what's probably happening is the guys that are traveling those mac teams they're taking the day off class on you know tuesday or thursday or whatever they're getting there early they're getting stretched out i wonder if you know the guys at home are having basically a normal day where the road team gets there a little early and kind of gets to get settled in i again uh, we could probably look that up and and see that um but yeah some of these splits i think are super interesting um one thing that stands out to me is is all of these are teams that are flawed. In one element and and good at the other. So Oregon State, for instance, eighth in offensive EPA, 95th in defensive EPA per play. Right, huge split. And so that's gonna that's gonna be a roller coaster for you, right? But at home they just got a really good draw. I mean, you look at their home schedule: um, Hawaii, Washington. Uh, they they really stuck Utah on a shocker, and then they had Stanford and, and Arizona State. So um, I mean, Arizona State really ran out of gas t- towards the end of the season too. So o- o- Oregon State's home road splits are probably mostly due to the fact that um, their strength of schedule is vastly different at at home and on the road. And so that's just something important to remember is like, there is some effect for these splits and Corvallis is hard to get to. And that certainly uh, presents a challenge, but those splits of strength of schedule, I think are um, really, really worth noting that there's multiple effects going on there.
1: And these are small sample sizes. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Let's talk about the over unders. Can I, can I throw in a couple more yeah. real quick, Gary? Yeah,
2: go ahead. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I just I want to throw this in. I feel like we're kind of on the fly a little bit more, but I, I like a couple of these stats, and I want to get Parker's opinion on one of these too. Um, the Sun Belt, another one that's really interesting when you look at the home road splits. Which I think you could consider the Sun Belt at least somewhat similar to the MAC. Uh, Sun Belt probably a better conference, but still similar. Sunbelt, 55.4% ATS for road teams in the last 15 years. Home favorites. against the spread in the last 15 years. Yikes. I mean, what a terrible, you don't want to be laying points in the Sunbelt with those home teams. And then one more real quick, uh, the Big 12, 53% ATS for home teams. So home teams have actually done well in the Big 12, especially in the non-conference, which to me is really interesting. Big 12 teams in the last 15 years in non-conference games, 55.8% ATS, Parker, any thoughts there on a hypothesis as to why that might be? Yeah, so
0: I, I have a Sunbelt thought, too. But I I think that um, one thing to look at is the way the Sunbelt schedules. I mean, App State, for instance, played East Carolina, who got hot at the end of the season but wasn't very good. Miami, who people thought was good at the beginning of the season and then really, really turned out to be not a good team. Uh, an FCS team, and then Marshall, same thing, was – you know, a little bit better reputation than they ended up with at the end of the season. And then they go at Georgia state at Louisiana versus coastal Carolina. And so I wonder if the sunbelt, there's just not this adjustment process. I, I, I think it'd be easy, Kyle, we should do this to break down the temporal distribution, which is the only way I can say when those things happen, like when it, you know, is there, is there pre week eight, post week eight, or something kind of breakdown for those home and road splits, because it would make sense to me that there was an adjustment period because the non-conference schedule requires some adjustment and maybe there's some inefficiency there. Um, but yeah, I think they're, they're, they're like the Mac and they're close. Um, as for the Big 12, um, I think that historically the Big 12 has been a super good offensive conference. And I think that shootouts, home teams are going to win shootouts. I think that's just probably more, more likely to happen. Um, and so that's probably what we're seeing is that there's just been elevated scoring. Um, plus there's been a lot of bifurcation, uh, right? There's been Oklahoma and one other good team, and then everyone else has been Pretty bad, and so that um, that would that would explain that narrative uh, pretty well, I think.
1: I I can get down with that, uh, Kyle. Uh, you uh, you ready to talk totals on this? Yeah, let's to talk t- right. I'm always ready to talk totals. You know that. All right, let's talk about the overs. Okay, uh, teams that have done great at home, but uh, but hit unders more so on the road. I, I found some of these very interesting, you know, crazy home away splits here. Uh, USC, 6-1 at home and 0-4-1 on the road. Uh, I I found that really strange that they would hit the under more so on the road than at home. Uh, Kentucky was 5-1 to the over at home, 2-3 on the road. South Florida, 4-1 to the over at home, 1-5 on the road. And Coastal Carolina, 5-2 to the over at home, 0-5 on the road and then Rutgers was another one that was four and one to the over at home, zero and six away from home. Uh, Kyle, let me first get your thoughts on those for the teams that were good on overs at home. I, what obviously teams get more comfortable at home, et cetera. Is that the only thing that would play into this?
2: I think this has been the case with USC for several years now. That USC's had a lot of high-scoring games at home and on the road, not been very good. Um, at USC, I haven't thought they were really a well-coached team for a long time, but I think they're going to be better coached here coming up soon, so I'm curious to see what this looks like So if we look at the end of next year or the year after. Um, I will say that as far as these home and road splits for over-unders, it's not something that I factor too much into my handicapping all that much. I feel like a lot of this has to do with who you played at home and who you played on the road. I mean, if you look at Rutgers, a team like that, I mean – Rutgers was playing Ohio State at home. The, you know, they're, they're getting blasted by teams that can score a bunch of points. And then on the road, they're playing Illinois, uh, Northwestern, teams like that. You know, it's it's just they played over teams at home. They played under teams on the road. You know, I, I feel like that's more commonly what the, the, the case is and in, in things like this. Um, you know, maybe I should factor this in a little bit more than I do. But I feel like a lot of this can be statistical noise and kind of variance because, uh, you know, It doesn't make too much sense to me in college football why you would be able to score a lot more at home and not be able to score on the road. I understand that you're better at home and and worse on the road, but I think the home field advantage is not what it used to be, And, and a lot of the numbers have pointed to that being the case. Um, having said that, you know, it's not a sport like college basketball where you're trying to shoot a ball in a basket with a weird backdrop or something like that. That makes a lot of sense to me for why one court would be unders, one court would be overs. In college football, I mean, there, there's goal posts and there's an end zone and, and things should be pretty similar. So, um, you know, I don't know, maybe Parker has some thoughts that would, would add something to this. But I, in general, I think a lot of these are, are variants and statistical noise. That's,
1: uh, Parker, Let me uh, let me give you the ones that are Awful at overs at home, and then great on the road. Uh, UCF one and five at home, five and zero on the road. Uh, Akron one and five at home, five and one on the road. Uh, Tulane one and four to the over at home, five and one on the road, and then South Carolina uh, one and six. So they hit six unders at home, uh, but they hit four overs on the road, four and one. Uh, give me, give me your thoughts here. Obviously, it does come down to scheduling and who you play, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but what are some things that can can toss in there? And and what Kyle was talking about, getting rid of the uh, the noise there, that statistical noise, uh, that's kind of what we're here to do, right? Just kind of give everybody an idea of, yeah, just because Rutgers went 4-1 and one to be over at home and 0-6 and on the road, that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to bet the overs every time they play at home. Uh, we just kind of want to dive through this stuff. Parker, I feel like you might be able to help explain it a little more.
0: Yeah, well, uh, Akron's a bad team. And so (laughs)
1: something to do with it
0: no um i i I think this is fascinating and and i will say kyle's domain is is the overs. that's not something that i um possessions are definitely something that i i I, my my model is based on and all my numbers like to look at like the relative number of possessions um but i i think that the final score in a college football game depends on a lot of things and one of the biggest things that it depends on is um is ultimately how you finish drives, right? It's a lot of teams can move the ball. They can get lucky and get a big play and move the ball three or four times on a drive and get an opportunity to score that consistent finishing ability over and over again, I think is really, really um, underrated in college football. And so a team like Akron, a team like UCF, who is without their starting quarterback and kind of in flux there um, is definitely going to have some issues with that. And so there is some noise with, you know, did you play a hard schedule? Did you play a, um, an easy schedule? I I really think that if you um, think home field advantage comes through the mechanism of the opposing team has to travel, has to go into, you know, worse facilities, has to go into a new place and kind of adjust on the fly, has to disrupt their entire schedule. Um, maybe that comes through in accentuating their flaws. And if teams are already bad at, at finishing drives, um, they might not be as I mean that, that might get ex- Exploited on the road, because it's more of a hostile situation and, and all of that. Um, I, I'm kind of agnostic on the totals. Um, I, I i will say frankly, I don't I don't know a ton about how Vegas sets those totals. And so there are obvious spots where I think, oh, this is a good total. Like I, I just totally disagree with this number. Um, but for the most part, that's a little bit like witchcraft to me, which is which is why I stick mostly <laughs> to sides. Um but I, I really do think that um another another thing to think about is how long a team can be on script. And it might be the case that um, a team could be on script at home better or away better because they break a big play early and they score. And so like, if your script is really, really good against a certain opponent, right. The script being, you know, the first 15 to 20 plays you write out um, and you score earlier on in your script, then maybe you're, Better against the total because you're scoring quicker because more of your drives are, are on script and and so you don't have to adjust later I think some some football things like that also go into this that might not be you know uh, statistically identifiable as to as
1: to these big splits that uh I mean that does make sense that does make sense it's a strange conundrum obviously as we get into more of the offseason and whatnot uh, which again there is no real offseason we've talked about that on the show before but Once we get into some of this post-season content and more preseason content, we can look back through the rest of these years as opposed to just this one season, which could have been an anomaly. Who knows? I'm curious to see what the numbers would be going back five years, ten years, etc., to see if if there was any huge difference for teams on the road or away, excuse me, at home or away as far as the numbers go. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Let's, uh, let's talk about the best against the spread and the worst straight-up teams. Uh, these two topics I don't think are going to take a very long time. Uh, the teams that were awful straight-up, right, just bad records, but were actually pretty good. I've already brought up a couple of these. UNLV was 2-10 and straight-up. They were 7-4 and four against the spread, 8-4 and four if you count an FCS opponent. So uh, USF, 2-10 and straight-up. But they were eight and four against the spread. you kind of an f c s opponent, right? uh Arizona, one and eleven straight up, six and five against the spread. uh that one's not including an f c s opponent, of course. <laughs> uh North Texas was six and seven straight up, but they were eight and three against the spread. Navy was four and eight straight up, but they were eight and four against the number. Kyle uh looking at these, these are teams that. It, again, it might have been something that happened early in the season that, that just completely swapped the numbers for the rest of the year, or uh, it could have been from a prior season right, where they are just awful all the way through and eventually Vegas just cannot keep up with them or, or the bookmakers can't keep up with them. Uh, how would you explain a team like UNLV or, or South Florida uh, you know, only having two wins on the year and yet having seven or eight spread wins? You know, uh, most of the teams on this list don't really surprise me too
2: much, uh, especially on the best straight up and worst uh, against the spread. But as far as best against spread, worst straight up, I was kind of trying to form this hypothesis for why a team like Arizona or USF could be uh, in that situation. And you you kind of think maybe they had turnover luck, but that wasn't the case with these teams. Uh, Arizona, negative 17 turnover margin, and yet they were able to be that good against the spread which does tell me that, you know, Arizona didn't quit. They, they did play better defensively later in the season. Uh, I think improved coaching there. Uh, you know, I don't think Sumlin did a very good job there in the past, and everybody knew it was going to be a really rough season this year. So, uh, you know, these teams don't really surprise me too much. Uh, Latrell is a good coach for North Texas, and uh, we knew they lost a lot, but the, they sure improved a lot and got a running game going, and their defense was better. Navy's the one that I wanted to point out, at least briefly. Navy as an underdog has been money in the bank. 50 and 33 against the spread in the last 15 seasons. As a favorite, 55 and 57 against the spread. So, in general, I think these service academies, uh, you know, bet them as a dog, uh, either fade as a favorite, or if they're a small favorite, maybe they're a good uh, bet. But uh, I don't know, you know, I think UNLV was just a case of a team that Finally got a bit of an identity. You know, they were able to run the ball a little bit. Um, you know, none of these teams are good, but there's always a number you have to take a team on. Right, Gary? I mean, this is oh, yeah. what, this is what uh, I said in our text beforehand. You know, some people say, well, I'm not betting that team no matter what. I don't care what they do. And it's like, well, you have to have a number that you want to back a team. And and, I mean, you know, you're going to give me 50 points. Sure, I'll take that. You know, I mean, you can't just say I'm automatically going to bet against this team or there's no way I'll bet on this side. And I think that's what this goes to is that perception just got so low that finally uh, they were undervalued.
1: Navy, a big, big part of this. I think the best thing that could have happened for Navy betters is getting blown out by Marshall and Air Force in the first two games of the year. And then, of course, they had the bye week, and then they came back with a different quarterback. And everything just seemed to click a little bit better. They weren't a great team, and Navy's schedule was absurd this year. But getting blown out the way they did in the first two games, I think, is what led to Navy being so good against the number because they were incredibly undervalued pretty much the whole season. Uh, Parker, you know, North Texas, 6-7 and seven straight up. They obviously started out awful and then completely changed their offensive philosophy. I think that's another thing, right? Is it, when you see a team that either switches quarterbacks or whatever, I don't know that there is enough of an adjustment made to that team. As far as the numbers go, uh, when you're actually running models, et cetera, how can you, how can you adjust for something like that happening? Right. If, uh, if UCLA had lost uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson at some point in middle of the year, it takes several weeks to get readjusted to what that number uh, would be closer to, right? Is, is that the way that we should be looking at this?
0: Yeah, I, I think so. So I, I think on one hand, that's absolutely correct in that um, you, there's a lot of value if you have a good system for identifying which injuries are going to matter and, and kind of how they're going to manifest and translating that. Uh, one way I combat that is just, uh, you just, you just wait games more recently a little bit more. Um, And so largely when that happens, especially if there's a big drop off and and, and a team drastically changes their usage and run pass or their success in run pass, um, then they, you know, my model will bake that in and say like, oh, they're not playing well. Um, I got, I'm fully admitting that I got cooked on North Texas versus UTSA. I thought UTSA had gotten out of their system at the end of the season and North Texas just was playing a lot hotter than the numbers could get. So definitely something to be wary of because there's a little bit of like survivorship bias because for every team like North Texas who played better and kind of outbeat our our expectations, there's, you know, a number of teams that statistically could look the same and you could say oh, I think they're going to be a hot team, and they that that, that never really manifested. Um, the other thing to look at is when teams are outperforming expectations, we have to remember that Vegas and, and a lot of analytical models make their models based on what they believe to kind of be the repeatable, important, consistent, week-over-week week factors and success. So... Um, Arizona, for instance, 130th in turnover margin per game, 129th in penalties per game. North Texas, 78th in turnover margin per game, 109th in, in uh, yeah, 109th in penalties per game. So those are a lot of variants, right? Like that's a lot of variants that really doesn't reflect how well you move the ball on a consistent down to down basis, and that's where you can see these kind of you know, runs and 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 rises of teams that that outperform or underperform their expectations is kind of at the margin of you know are are they weirdly good on their downs? Do they have discipline? Do they compound mistakes with penalties? Um, or you know, we don't have the data necessarily to look at these turnovers and say, well, were those turnovers? Um, I want the spatial data. I'm trying not to say that out loud. I want the dots. I want to know where every player is on every field. Like some of these turnovers, not all turnovers are the same, right? You know, third and long pass doesn't matter as much as a first and 10 fumble at the, at your own one. And so there there are some differences in kind of these turnovers as well, that just looking at the margin doesn't necessarily capture how potentially devastating they, they are. You could move the ball, Gary, 99 yards, every drive have, have a 99% success rate. And at the one throw a, 100-yard interception that gets returned for a touchdown and lose the game 49 to nothing on, on seven drives. Um, that also being said, um, some of these teams are a little slower. I know Arizona, for instance, was pretty slow. And so when you have fewer drives, you have more variance. And so that's, you know, chaos favors the underdog in college football every time. And so I think that probably explains some of these um, teams that overperformed as well. As you look at turnover margin, you look at penalties, and then you look at possessions, the, the shorter those games are, the more fluky
1: they get. Oh, most certainly. Uh, one team that I did not bring up here, but kind of fits everything you were talking about, Parker. Nebraska was three and nine overall, uh, straight up. They were six and five against the spread, obviously not counting the FCS win. Uh, that's another one of those situations. And uh, Vegas was pretty much on the nose with them for the most part, right? They, they had them favored and they would lose, and then they had them as an underdog, and they would. There were a lot of different uh, situations with Nebraska. Uh, But it explains why Nebraska, even late into the season, when they only had, you know, a couple of wins, they were still being favored over good teams, or they were only like a two- or three-point underdog to, say, Michigan, right? Um, Let's look at the best straight-up teams that were the worst against the spread, right? Teams that you had really high expectations for, but didn't always meet the number. Uh, We'll start off with Coastal Carolina. 11-2 Eleven and two straight up, and they went six and seven against the closing number. Uh, that's, I mean, five games off the pace there. That's just not uh, not great. BYU ten and three straight up; they were four and eight against the spread. So again, expectations got sky high, uh, maybe because of some of the early season wins, especially maybe the one over Utah, uh, etc. Uh, Arizona State, all those. Clemson was ten and three straight up, which. Again, we talked about this on last week's show, I believe. Clemson won ten games, and we thought it was a really down year for them. I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, but they were five and seven against the spread. Uh, Oregon, ten and four straight up, they were five and eight against the spread. Uh, UCF, nine and four straight up, and they were three and eight against the spread. That's it, it, some of these are crazy, right? UCF. You can kind of understand that. When Dylan Gabriel got hurt, so you have to factor in the injury there. They're bringing in a brand-new freshman quarterback, uh, brand-new uh, style offense with Gus on et cetera. Clemson, we understand that the offense was not great, but the defense was lights out, so that one makes sense. Oregon, uh, expectations were super high, especially after the Ohio State win. All of these are explainable, right? Uh, Kyle, let's move it back over to you on, on these. you know, Teams that were really, really good, and we see this often right? Uh, teams that are really good overall at Georgia, Alabama, they're always going to be massive, massive favorites. So sometimes they cover and sometimes they don't like, there's not a huge, uh, lean one way or the other on those. And you, uh, you got a feel on, on maybe what happened with coastal Carolina and BYU and some of these teams. I think from this list there, there
2: isn't a single one that really surprised me very much from this list because, uh, like you said, Gary, um, BYU with the huge win over Utah early in the season, Oregon over Ohio State. Everybody saw those games and they say, wow, man, I got to bet that, you know, those are very public games. Everybody sees it. Um, Perception changes really fast early in the season. And then that stays for a long time. Uh, Parker said something that interests me quite a bit there a minute ago when he said, you know, wait something more by recent games which I think is uh, pretty important. I mean, does it really matter what a team did in week two or week three by the time you get to the end of the season? And yet, that's still being factored in pretty heavily in a lot of cases. So, uh, you know, a team like Oregon, I mean, they beat Ohio State at the beginning of the season. They, they probably wouldn't have beaten Ohio State at the end of the season. Uh, BYU, they beat Utah at the beginning of the season. I don't think they would have beat Utah at the end of – or they wouldn't have beat Utah at the end of the season. Coastal Carolina, I mean, Grayson McCall – uh, mattered there. I mean, he was banged up, but didn't play some of the time. Uh, you know, UCF obviously without uh, Dylan Gabriel, that was a big difference there. And I don't know uh, how much I trust uh, Gus Malzahn either. So, uh, you know, this is a a list that doesn't really surprise me too much. Any of them. You know, Clemson, like you said, 10 and 3 straight up is probably the biggest surprise of anything, just because it seemed like they were
1: so bad. No, it definitely, definitely makes sense. Parker, you uh, you got a thought on any of these, or were there any others that you had found that uh, that kind of stood out for you?
0: Coastal and BYU are two that I circled for two different reasons. Coastal, one, because uh, I think three factors really got them. One, their offense uh, was super novel last year, and um, this year I think it wasn't as novel, so it's a little easier to game prep for. Second, they lost a lot on the, on the defensive uh, line, and I, I think it was just way harder to replace that, even at a Sunbelt level, than anyone thought. Um, and then third, when you are that good, you're going to get everyone's best shot every week. Um, and, and so that is definitely a, a real thing. And I think Coastal was a victim of that. They were, you know, really big favorites in some games and they got they got, uh, you know, they got in some rock fights. Um, BYU is the other one I circled because they started out 5-0, but they played um, – Four of those five in Provo against Utah, Arizona State, and, and South Florida. And then Arizona wasn't even a true road game. That was in Las Vegas, which elevation, still still pretty decent. So that's, that's one that had me circle kind of elevation just as something to look at this offseason because that one was weird. That I mean, they, they, they went 3-0, 5-0 with three wins against Pac-12 teams. And at one time, Utah and Arizona State were both ranked early in season two. So their resume looked really good. And again, 12-game season, 5-0 with three Power 5 wins. Really, really hard to shake that even as, you know, the cracks started coming out um, re- relatively later that they weren't as dominant um, as, as that early season looked, um, especially given, you know, Utah turns into a different team later down the season. Arizona State in the other direction turns into a different team down the uh, down the stretch as well. So that one was kind of an interesting mix of um, a, a kind of another variable in that elevation that really helped them and in, in some
1: teams they just caught at the right time that kind of inflated their expectations. Oh, most certainly. Uh, Let's go on and move to totals. Let's talk about the teams that had you ridden the over or the unders with these teams, uh, you could have made some money this year. Absolutely. Looking at the overs first, I'll just read some of these off very quickly, and then we'll move on. Um, And Kyle, I'm going to get your opinion on this. I'm going to save Parker for some of this crazy stuff right after this. Jumping into the overs, Tennessee, 10-3. You bring in Josh Heupel, everything starts to click once he switches over to Hendon Hooker. That one makes sense. Rice, 9-3. Louisiana Tech, 9-3. Western Kentucky, 10-4 to the over. Nevada was 9-4 to the over. And Florida International, 8-4 to the over on those. Uh, Kyle, you got a thought on, on some of these? I think Louisiana Tech, maybe their defense was worse than we thought it would be. Same with FIU at being 8-4 and four to the over. Uh, you know, give me give me your thoughts here because some of these have to do with a great offense and some of them might just have to do with a really bad defense.
2: Yeah, I mean, first, Tennessee was first in the nation in tempo. Um, you know, that tempo change was hard to keep up with for the odds makers. Western Kentucky was fifth and tempo. And I will say Western Kentucky, we were kind of ahead of a game when we talked about Western Kentucky before the season. Uh, this is the benefit of knowing a schematic change before the season. You say, okay, Western Kentucky should be a good team to back ATS. We talked about that and play overs with, especially early in the season. Turns out overs were good throughout the course of the season for them. I don't know if they'll be able to keep that up without their offensive coordinator and without Bailey's app, but uh, that's that's a discussion for another day. But what that that proves is, you know, knowing the schematic changes and something that a team's going to be completely different than they were the year before can be very valuable, especially early in the season. As far as the other teams, um, Nevada couldn't stop the run. Um, FIU just an absolute train wreck on defense. I mean, really, overall, um, that, that program certainly Rice was far worse on defense than I expected them to be. I thought they'd be a a lower-scoring team. I think they're the biggest surprise for me of the over teams. They were 118th in yards per play allowed. I would have expected them to be pretty good defensively, or at least decent. And Louisiana Tech, uh, pretty decent offense, really bad defense. A lot of these teams in the over category give up a lot of big explosive plays as well.
1: No, uh, definitely makes sense. Uh, The Rice situation, I think their over-under was, what, five and a half. So, it, a lot of people had them making a bowl game this year, and they were, they were not that. They were not, <laughs> they were not a bowl team whatsoever. Uh, looking at their final record here, Rice was 4-8. Um, so, you know, finished out the year, I guess, okay. But, uh, but Rice was not good pretty much all year, and that's what led to a lot of these overs. Uh, as far as the unders, if you had ridden the unders with some of these teams, uh, you would have definitely cashed. Boise State. Two overs on the entire season. They were uh, two overs and ten unders. Penn State, three overs and ten unders. Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin's offense. I think the expectations got a little bit crazy, and people forgot the fact that he still likes to run the football. And props to D.J. Durkin, right? D.J. Durkin, the defensive coordinator there who has now moved on to Texas A&M. D.J. Durkin played a very much bend-don't-break style of defense with what he had at Ole Miss Three overs and ten unders for Ole Miss this season. Uh, Washington, New Mexico, Arkansas State, and Boston College all were three overs and nine unders. And Illinois, three overs, eight unders, and one push. Uh, Illinois makes perfect sense. Washington makes sense. New Mexico makes sense. Arkansas State, I think their defense was so bad early on that the expectation level just got a little crazy. Kyle, uh, do you think... Obviously, Penn State and, and Ole Miss and, you know, Arkansas State, all completely different teams, but all end up around the same number there. Uh, how do you attribute that to, uh, to all these unders?
2: So uh, for these teams individually, Penn State was really good at not giving up big plays on defense. Uh, defensive explosiveness is really key, and that's something that I've looked at more and more with my totals numbers. Uh, you know, those huge plays that you give up can can really uh, add those points in quickly. Penn State played very fast, but they weren't very explosive on offense, and, the, and their defense was very good at not giving up the big plays. Washington's offense was just atrocious. I mean, we know that all season, 15 plays of 30 yards or more so far, or so far, all season. Listen to me me thinking it's still college football season. I think it's wishful thinking, right? Um, Oh,
1: yes.
2: (laughs) Zero plays of 60 yards or more this season, which I know 60 yards is a lot, but there were a lot of teams that had quite a few 60-yard plays. Washington had zero of them. Um, Arkansas State is the one that's just mind-boggling, though. I mean, they gave up 15 plays of 60 yards or more this season they were still an under team Um, it looks to me like they gave up about 11 or 12 of those plays early in the season and that's what Gary was talking about there is you get you're so bad defensively earlier and they really weren't good on defense later but their numbers were so high on the totals if you look at Arkansas State's games they were still high scoring it's not to say that this these were low scoring games it's just you know the number matters a lot. Yeah, you know, this is where you know. Shout out to the the guys who say the number doesn't matter at all. I'm just going to bet whatever. Like I said before, uh, the number matters a lot. Uh, you, you should bet numbers before you bet teams. Honestly, so uh, Arkansas State. Uh, I guess their uh, their defense, while it was horrible ended up not being quite as bad in Sunbelt play. The other thing was their offense wasn't very efficient at all either. So, uh, you know, they're a team that kicked too many field goals, uh, weren't efficient. And, you know, when you have a total of 70,
1: uh, it's pretty easy to stay under something like that. No, it makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Let's move on to the other outliers. And this is Parker's time to shine. We're going to start off with elevation. Let's go on and, and bring up the elevation graphic here. Parker, I want you to explain this to the viewers, to the listeners. Uh, let everybody know exactly what we're looking at here.
0: Yeah, so this is uh, elevation again. Uh, you know, the Utah and the BYU results specifically kind of got me thinking about this. And I wanted to see how much um, the, the changes in elevation kind of affect your performance, uh, specifically for road teams. So what I did is I took the um, the difference in elevation between your home stadium and the away stadiums on all your schedule. And I just took the variance of that. Now, variance is just how much does it move, right? So if you're further right on this scatter plot out there by San Diego State, for instance, um, that means that your road games had a lot more elevation change relative to your home stadium. Um, And so, for instance, San Diego State, that makes a lot of sense. They play in the Mountain West, except they're at sea level. And so every time they go uh, play a road game, they play – In the mountains and so a lot of elevation change for them if you're further left that means that your opponents uh, elevation wasn't really uh, a lot different between you and your um your opponents in in conference then uh, i did cover percent over expected all i did there is just make a little model to say all right let's just predict whether you cover based on the spread based on your season results to date and based on the change in elevation so i get an explanatory variable How much does elevation affect whether you cover or not? Then I compare that to reality. I get this number. All that fancy way to say if you're higher up on this graph, that means you did better relative to expectations than the change in um, elevation would have suggested. And if you're lower, that means you did worse. So a couple of teams that are really interesting to me here. One, San Diego State, uh, just because they're so far out. They're actually pretty close to zero, so it seems like that big change in elevation didn't really mess with San Diego State very much. The outliers that are that are worth noting, obviously Utah State, I think, is one. Um, they were way better away from home than they were at home. Uh, they went down in elevation away. We've talked about before. They had 17 transfers. Uh, maybe they weren't used to maybe they weren't used to being up in the mountains in Logan, and and so they were better on the road. Um, Another one that that stands out to me as well is um both Air Force and Minnesota, so Air Force did pretty well on the road when they when they kind of left, and Minnesota um did better when they left but uh Gary, it's my suspicion that's largely related to the fact that they played Colorado uh, because you'd see none of the other big ten teams are um especially the big Ten west teams have a lot of um elevation change, and so I wonder if Minnesota doesn't stick out there just because they had one game. That was a little bit different uh, in in elevation than the rest.
1: Yeah, um, remember. Three- let me let me interrupt you. Texas Please. A&M is at the same spot that is just yeah. below. Uh, the, and of course, A&M only beat Colorado ten to seven. Uh, Minnesota beat them thirty to nothing, which is why Minnesota is at the top. And A&M, of course, is almost at the exact same spot, moving from left to right. Uh, and they're way way lower because obviously they did not cover when they went to Boulder. So that, yeah, that makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. And and um, and and so a couple other, you know, notorious home home games. Um, Oregon was um, even worse on the road than the elevation change would have would have suggested. Uh, Washington State, another really hard team to get to. They were actually um, better on the road um, than expected, given the elevation change. And so these are just um, interesting because it kind of contextualizes how far did you have to travel uh, and, and how much did your elevation change, and did it really affect them? And there are some teams that that had some really wild schedules. It's also funny that, you know, Wyoming and Colorado State are exactly zero. They just played all of their games in the mountains all season, and it didn't affect them at all.
1: <laughs> That's, that is bananas. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, this is – you're not going to find this stuff anywhere else. I will go ahead and tell everybody that. Um, I'm hoping that we can start diving into – those numbers, the elevation numbers, et cetera, even more so as we go through uh, the coming seasons, right? As we, you know, maybe as we head into 2022, we can start to look at what the elevation was uh, and maybe do it, you know, back five years, see if this is a trend that we can kind of start to pay attention to uh, because Texas A&M did go out to Colorado and, you know, lost their quarterback in that ball game, but they didn't cover. Minnesota goes out there and they, they wallop Colorado but they, I mean, at the same time, they come back home and they lose to Bowling Green outright the very next week. Uh, how much do those play into it? I mean, it's, it's something worth at least checking out because there are, it, it may be something that the bookmakers have not paid attention to as of yet. If you can ever find any kind of an edge that way, uh, that might be something to pay attention to. There are a number of other things that we could dive into. Let's, uh, part of the, let's, uh, let's talk about transfers. Um, it, there were obviously this past year was the first year that you could really do, uh, the, the one-time transfer rule. And it made a big difference for some teams, you know, much like Michigan state, et cetera. And then other teams brought in a ton of transfers and it might've actually hurt their chemistry. And we'll let's go through some of these teams and, and I'll let you kind of take the reins on this and, and see exactly what it meant for those teams, because it's not always, uh, a hit whenever you bring in a bunch of transfers, it can also kind of derail things.
0: Yeah, so one of the reasons I think this is so interesting, Gary, is that there is this information uh, asymmetry. There's this uncertainty. You bring in a lot of transfers, even if they're highly rated, you still don't know what's going to happen necessarily when they get on campus and how well they're going to do. So a couple teams that I think are worth pointing out, and, and, and obviously on a couple of these, you're going to see There's coaching issues. Like obviously transfers weren't the main thing that was going wrong, but some of these are still interesting. Um, Florida, for instance, they brought in, uh, you know, Arik Gilbert, maybe he was gonna come play tight end. They um, brought in uh, a couple former five-star transfers and really beefed up what had been a poor recruiting class. They only went 36% against the spread, not including FCS games. Um, And so that's where, you know, again, you see these narratives of, oh, SEC school, they're they're beefing up with transfers. I think that's really relevant for this year. just because a team is getting a lot of transfers doesn't necessarily mean that's going to um, that's gonna automatically mean that they're going to be better. Uh, along with them, LSU and Oklahoma both rated the transfer portal heavily. Um, notable, all three of those teams don't have their coach anymore. Maybe getting a lot of transfers is um, a sign that potentially there's uh, something on the horizon there. But uh, all three of those teams went 36% against the spread. Um, one that really stood out to me, uh, uh, in addition to uh, Michigan State, 72% against the spread and, and a lot of transfers. Um, UCLA, uh, 67% against the spread. They brought in Zach Charbonnet from Michigan. And I don't know, Gary, the last time that we've seen a transfer be, um, the star player on one team and transfer and then be the star player on that on that other team like he was you know they were very reliant on him chip kelly loves to run the ball and uh and so they did really well with transfers um the the thing in looking into this i did the correlation of, of number of transfers and against the spread and uh for all you nerds out there the correlation coefficient was 0.001 uh which means uh basically not really informative because it is so context dependent right it really matters kind of who you plug in and all of that. So that th- I think there's more to be explored uh, with the transfer portal, but it is nice to kind of see this array of a lot of teams brought in transfers and, and there wasn't really a-, a specific direction just because the team was transfer heavy, didn't mean they were good. Um, and-, and just because they didn't bring in any transfers, didn't mean they were bad, um, which I think challenges a little bit of conventional wisdom about kind of realignment of talent. But that I think is something we're going to have to account for in our numbers, especially these preseason win totals um, because There's just, I mean, one, that's a huge part of college football now. And two, there is this very context dependent um, knowledge. uh, And and I don't think that's been exploited well yet.
1: No, it definitely, definitely makes sense. uh, When you look at teams like Western Kentucky, you know, we, Kyle and I talked just a little bit ago about how important it was to be ahead of the game, uh, ahead of the numbers on knowing that they were making a stylistic shift. Well, we just saw that when they brought in Houston Baptist uh, offensive coordinator and the quarterback and a couple of other. They brought the whole offensive system with them. There was already chemistry, and you knew that they were successful in FCS uh, scoring. And let's uh, let's We can look at Washington State going forward the same way. They just brought in Incarnate Words quarterback and their offensive coordinator, and they will likely bring in some more guys as well. So uh, with that said, you know, I think we'll, uh, I think we'll close it off here. Kyle, do you, uh, do you have a thought on the transfer portal and in uh, the way that that can maybe lead towards uh, getting some value on some numbers? Well, I mean, I think it's something to examine a lot closer because
2: it's uh, specific cases, like Parker was saying, because, you know, there's some cases where it doesn't work at all. There's other cases where it works uh, in, a, in a really good way, which is kind of why the coefficient comes out to what it did, uh, like Parker said, because um, there's some that are to one extreme and others to another extreme. The, the question is, can we do a better job of predicting which cases that will work? We, we were right about Western Kentucky. Um, I think that being able to predict those in the future could be pretty important because the transfer portal is going to get more and more common. So I I think it's something
1: that I want to look into a lot more. That's for sure. Oh, you have certainly got that right. Gentlemen, um, I think this is going to wrap it up for today's show. Obviously we could talk about these numbers forever and ever. I mean, hours. Uh, And everybody knows we typically go over our hour, uh, but going forward, I don't imagine we will go as long. We'll kind of shorten this thing down, maybe take a couple of topics and, uh, and hit on those as we go. But, again, you can all tune in. You can find out for yourselves. We'll figure it all out. I want to say thanks to everybody that hopped in. Uh, let's see, Alejandro, Eric, um, who else did we have? Steven, P. Matt, et cetera. You guys are fantastic. We appreciate you jumping into the chat. Uh, I mean, we're going to keep on doing this. We're going to keep on doing this. So make sure that you head over to BetUS and that you sign up. Over there, BetUS.com, where the game begins. Incredible sportsbook. You can bet on everything you need to right over there. Uh, Along with that, of course, all of our different BetUS channels, College Basketball Show, the NFL Show, uh, the NBA Show, etc., are all doing extremely well. Make sure that you are subscribed to each and every one of those if you are interested at all in gambling on those sports. And make sure and like this video and subscribe to our channel. We are going to keep this thing going. Like I just said multiple times, we... uh. We are ready to rock and roll for the 2022 season, and we are starting prepping right now. So, so with that said, uh, let's go ahead and get out of here, guys. Uh, head over to BetUS.com, and for BetUS, we will see you all again next week.